The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we've been talking for the last several weeks about how we are a disconnected people, though maybe more connected than anyone in the world, that we're disconnected from surrender to Christ, disconnected from community and from one another often. And then today we'll talk about being disconnected from mission. Now we'll also talk about being disconnected from missions, but being disconnected from mission and disconnected from missions, while they're connected, they're two different things. Being disconnected from mission, that's something we're all on. Missions is this cross-cultural work that we do that we want to be connected to as well. And we've said it over and over. We live in a time where culture, technological advancements, things people are learning are increasing at a blinding rate. This week, many of you on the internet saw a picture of the first photo ever taken of a black hole. Some conspiracy theorists think when you zoom in, it's actually just a glazed donut. Um, But um, I'm not a, a flat earther. I prayed that God would help me not to make fun of flat earthers in this hour. And so far, I'm successful, I think. But things are going so fast. The things that we're learning are going so fast. And still, it's possible to live life confessing Christ, to get a lot of things done, to be as busy as a bee in springtime, and to be utterly and completely disconnected from mission. One author says, sin is the human failure of vocation. With all this entails, when we sin, we abuse our calling, our privileges, and our possibilities. We miss all that God has for us. We try to live on our own ways, in our own terms. And John, though, is writing to a church he loves, and he's writing to a people who are not disconnected from mission or missions. They're connected to mission. They're walking in truth. So let's read in 3 John, verses 1 through 8. He says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, this is not what we're preaching on or teaching on or talking about today, but I want to say verse 2 of 3 John is a verse often misused. Prosperity gospel preachers and adherents will take this verse and say, see, you can just claim that, that you'd prosper as your soul prospers. You just claim it. If you have enough faith, you'll always be well. And that's just not true. It's a great thing to pray. Yes, I hope we all do prosper as our souls prosper in Christ. God is sovereign. We are not. We can't checkmate Him with our words. So we want to be careful not to go further than the Scripture does. Verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the pagans. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. See, John commends this church for walking in the truth. Now, we've got to ask, what in the world does this mean to walk in the truth? Because to be connected to mission is simply to be walking in the truth. Well, 
what does John mean here when he says truth? Well, for John, truth is deeply connected to Jesus and who he is. In his, in his gospel, he says Jesus came full of grace and truth. In his gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to send the spirit of truth. And so to walk in the truth is to walk out the faith that you profess. It's to walk and live in, in, in what you say you believe. It's really to be connected to mission, to walk in truth. So I thought about people who I know who are connected to mission, and I asked a question of, of three guys on staff that I just see as connected to mission all the time, and some of our missionaries who are home, and they're connected both to missions overseas, but also to mission. They love their neighbors. And so I was asking them, what do you think it means to be connected to missions? What do you think it means to be connected to missions? And so just so we can kind of get in our mind what we're talking about when we talk about walking in truth, being connected to mission, here's what some of them said that I thought was helpful. Casey Burke, who just slugs it away with his team working hard for our children, for them to know Christ and follow Christ week in and week out. He says, when those on the outside can see our love for one another within the family as we work out the gospel in all areas of our life, where mom and dad are loving each other, forgiving each other, serving each other, where children are loving their parents, parents are loving their children, they can see the gospel worked out in all areas of our life. That might look different than culture. There might be a scenario where a guy walks into his house at the end of a hard day Mom's been slugging it away with kids all day, and he just takes out his phone. I know nobody does this here. He gets home, he just kicks down, and he just scrolling, 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 scrolling. And she says, hey, hey, can I get a little help here? And he goes, do you know what my day's been like? And she said, we've just been blowing dandelions and memorizing Scripture all day. It's been wonderful here, right? So I know that never happened here. See, when we're walking in truth and connected to mission, it starts first in our home and we're letting the gospel play out. Our affections are stirred for Christ. We're about loving and knowing and following Jesus in every area of life. Dave Tate, our high school pastor, one of our teaching team members who taught us so well on culture a couple of weeks ago, a family who seeks to reach their immediate neighbors, who seeks to reach those at their job, their school, their teams, a family who seeks to serve the church, whether serving in the church or serving through ministries, outside the church. These are people connected to mission, walking in truth. Sometimes when we hear reach those, we just think, oh, I cannot do that. There's no way I can share the gospel. And that would be believable if we hadn't heard five or six, seven or eight or nine or ten-year-olds plainly share the gospel with all of us this morning. This is a simple message that's true, that Jesus is God's Son who came and lived and died and rose from the dead, and He's our only hope of salvation And we've been called to be connected to mission to share this truth. A family on mission, Tim Cartwright says, is seeking to glorify God in all things. This includes what most might call the mundane activities of life. They're strategically thinking about all interactions and opportunities as ways to point people to the Savior. And then I asked some of our neighbors, and a big word that kept, or some of our missionaries rather, and a big word that kept popping up is hospitality. And then one of them said, a desire to see your neighbors. And I thought, well, that's a peculiar thing, a desire to see your neighbors. Of course you want to see your neighbors, but then this other kind of thing played out in my mind. Can you imagine the scenario where somebody pulls up, whether it's 
coming home from school, whether it's coming home from work, whether it's just been a busy day and you pull up and you see the neighbors outside and you just think, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. Let me just get, again, never happened here, right? Maybe being connected to mission is a desire to see these people that God's put right next to me to share the gospel with them, to love them, and to serve them. This word hospitality kept coming up, and one of these folks said, you know, when we were overseas, this person would bring me meals all the time. And it was such a blessing to me. And when I come back, I want to do that for people in the church. And I've asked them, can I bring you a meal? And I'm always getting, oh, we're good, we're good, we're good. Well, part of us being on mission is actually being able to receive as well. When somebody wants to be a blessing to us, then the world sees the church loving one another. When you hear hospitality, one thing you don't want to confuse that with is entertainment. In the West, we tend to entertain. So that means if we're going to have people over, it's got to be an event. Everything's got to be perfect. It's got to go well. We can't burn the hamburgers, all those good things. And hospitality just means that you're welcome. Just that you're welcome. If you're welcome at my house, if you come to my house, you're going to step on a Lego, so keep your shoes on, okay? They're, they're pretty good builders, but sometimes, occasionally, once a month, we'll find a Lego out of place, right? But hospitality just means you're welcome. If you want to think through the difference in that, a great resource is a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. It's understanding that we are people who love one another and serve one another together. together. When we are connected to mission, we're walking in truth. I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you're walking in the truth. You're living the way you say that you believe. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This walking in truth, Paul says it a couple of ways. In Ephesians 2, he says, we are his workmanship. We're his poema, his masterpiece, literally, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should be connected to mission, carrying out these works. We say we believe that we love God and we love one another. To the Philippians, he says, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's at work in you, and there are things He wants to do that please Him. And these things also bring us lots of joy. He says, Do all things then without grumbling or disputing. To walk in truth is to be a joyful people on mission. In a world that's full of grumbling, that's full of disputes. Be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You shine like stars in the world when you do this, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may run or labor in vain. So John describes this missional living as walking in truth. This church is surrendered to Jesus. They're in community together, loving each other, and then they're sacrificially living on mission for the sake of the gospel. It sounds like they have the same core values as TBC, surrender, community, and mission. They probably got those off our website. See, they lived in a culture where people lived for the things in their day that were broken just like we do. There were people who lived to get to the Colosseum. If they couldn't get to the Colosseum, they would buy ESPN Plus so they could watch first century MMA, the gladiators just crushing each other. That's what they lived for. It's all they thought about. 
instead of engaging in family, engaging in mission, it just wrapped up their minds. There were others that lived. Their pornography was at the temple. It was the temple prostitutes. And they would pursue and run after others just living to make another dollar. Others just getting to buy bigger barns with the dollars they already have. But John says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. They're walking in the truth. Walking in truth is what Paul calls the obedience of faith. We're living on mission. Because we look different. See, Henry Blackaby says this, It's impossible to identify yourself with Jesus and yet have nothing in your life that has been crucified. So to walk in the truth is to die to self and live to Christ. It's impossible to identify yourself with Jesus and yet have nothing in your life that has been crucified. It's being connected to mission. That's what walking in truth is. One of our, our missionaries who lives in the Middle East, he lives in a country that's about 30% Shia, 30% Sunni, and then 30% cultural Christian, people who name the name of Jesus but don't really follow Jesus, and a small percentage of Druids. And people would ask him all the time, how do you... How do you love these Muslims in your neighborhood? How do you do this? And how do you do this? And how do you do this? And he he said this. He said, Chase, we don't love our neighbors because they're Muslim or cultural Christian or Druid. We love them because they're our neighbors. We love them because they're our neighbors. See, it doesn't have anything to do with missions in that moment. For him, it's that Jesus said to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We love them because... They're our neighbors. See, nothing brings church leaders more joy than to see their people walking in truth, just to say, connected to mission. I was coming in before 815 service and was speaking to one of our guys and said, how'd your week go? He said, great. I saw one of my volunteers where I work trust Christ this week. It's a great testimony of walking in truth. We're going to see 24 people baptized Friday night confessing their faith in Christ because TBCers around them have walked in truth, loved them, shared the gospel with them, embraced them right where they were, told them truth about Jesus, they've trusted Christ, and now they begin walking in truth. They begin walking in truth. Last week, we saw it at our garage sale where 150 people were just serving together in love. Serving together in love, walking in the truth. We're going to see it at impact. Whether you're serving as a host home, whether you're serving as a park host, whether you're driving, whether you're bringing food, whether you're a child that's involved, whether you're praying for impact, when you think about this fact that across central Texas, Hundreds upon hundreds of children are going to hear the truth about Jesus. Many are going to trust in Christ. And it's something that none of us could do individually. But collectively, by the grace of God, we get to partake in this mission together. See, that, that's an invitation to privilege, to great opportunity. See, to be a people on mission is to walk in the truth. And I could tell you so many times about my own failures to walk in the truth. A couple that that come to mind, one I'll tell you now and another in a little bit. I'll never forget this. I I was walking um, in Austin. I was in college. I didn't go to UT. I went to Lamar. You may have heard of it. Most people refer to it as Harvard on the Natchez. And, uh, And me and some friends are in Austin for a weekend. And 
I'm walking down the street and in a way that just rarely really happens, there's a guy there and I just see, and I just know I'm supposed to share the gospel with that guy. 20 years old, new believer, and I just know I'm supposed to share the gospel and I just walk right by him. I just walk right by him. I just missed an opportunity. I can still see that guy's face. I have no idea who he was. I've never seen him again. And I just think, man, what an opportunity missed to, to brag about Christ. How do we walk in truth? I think just real practically, that can start with our family. It can start with our family. One of the things that Laura and I did, oh man, we didn't know how significant this would be when, when we did it, but we decided when we were engaged, we we're going to have a verse for our marriage. It was on our wedding invitation. This was the invitation to join in marriage. And it's Psalm 34, 3, and it just says, come glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And as we prayed as an engaged couple, I said, that's the invitation. Let's glorify the Lord. Let's exalt His name together. Maybe dads or moms, maybe you have a verse as a family and you say, this is going to be our verse that we're going to be about. Gary has kind of led us as a church over the last six years. The last three verses in Habakkuk that remind us whether the, the fig tree doesn't blossom, whether there's no ox in the stall, there's no fruit on the vine. I'm going to exalt in God my Savior. Is there this verse that for a season of life, your family says, this is going to be our verse to keep us on mission. Just a verse to keep us on mission. Now, another thing that we just started doing this week, my daughter Maddie is up at, at Arkansas, and I've got these four boys, 14, 8, and 5, and 3. And so this is way oversimplified, but when I look at men in our culture, I'm going to describe two extreme problems. And one, you hear it talked about, and it's a reality. It's talked about because it's reality. It's this toxic masculinity. And the idea is to be a man is to be physically strong, to rule over, to have power. And, and often that's played out in abuse of power. And, and when it is, it is just ugly when men abuse their power and when their masculinity is not used in sacrificial responsibility for the sake of others. Now, often this toxic masculinity, they'd say, I'm responsible, I do my job, I do this and this and this, but then they're not loving. And so what happens in a culture, when that happens, the pendulum swings, and then you've got another group on the other extreme of, of men who really aren't doing anything. No job, no work, no responsibility, not engaging, they're just doing nothing. So as I thought about that and I prayed about what in the world, how do I raise these boys to know Jesus? God, I need your help. For us, the things that we're talking about now is that real men in Christ love and real men in Christ are responsible. Real men in Christ love and real men in Christ are responsible. Now, my 14-year-old understands what that means. We love God and we love people. That's how we love. And he understands the word responsibility. But my five-year-old and my three-year-old, not so much. It's just fun to hear them say, responsible. <laughs> but so what it means to be responsible is you do what you're supposed to do. And as a man, sometimes you even do what others are supposed to do. So moms, dads, for your daughters, for your sons, are there little ways that you can talk? Listen, we're going to talk about this every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Friday when dad's taking them to school. We're going to talk about this till they hate it, and we're going to talk about it till they love it again. Are there things that you can do, really, that are just kind of biblical mantras for your family that are going to help you to be connected to missions? See, when I was in college, I was confessing Christ, but I wasn't connected to mission for quite a while. 
In fact, I went to college at Lamar or Harvard on HS for seven years, and I'm not a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> the, the reality is I went to college for about four years. For three years before that, I got really, really good at spades and ping pong. But the truth is I was wasting God's time and I was wasting God's money. And I remember one Monday coming into a communication class and had this professor who's a believer. There's another guy in my class a bit older and named the name of Christ and was just as responsible as could be, was part of a denomination that just frankly teaches a false gospel. And I was talking about whatever foolish I had done that, that weekend. And the prof said, hey, Chase, you have a minute after class? Yeah, absolutely. And so... He, uh, he brought me in and he said, hey, if, if somebody in our class wanted to hear the gospel, would you, want, would you want to share it or would you want this other guy to share it? And I said, oh man, I'd want to share it. And he said, okay, great. He said, if somebody in our class, if their life's just falling apart and they know they need Jesus, you think they're more likely to come to you or more likely to come to him? And man, I, I'd rather he hit me with a sledgehammer than ask me that. And, and in effect, he did hit me with a sledgehammer. I realized I was naming the name of Jesus, but I wasn't walking in truth. I wasn't connected to mission in any real sense. The people God had put me or put around me in that class, just like people He's put around you and me in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our children's schools, He's put us there that we'd be connected to mission to make much of Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead and forever reigned. See, the grace of God gives us what we don't deserve. And as a believer, one of those things is that it gives us the power to do the things we don't have the power to do on our own. One of the things the grace of God gives us is the power to do things we don't have to do on our own. So here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trapping you right now, okay? Because some of you hear this, you just think, Chase, I can't do it. I just, I can't do that. I can't share Christ with somebody. And my response to that is me neither. But the grace of God gives us the power to do the things we can't do on our own. Gives us power to love people we don't think we can love. Serve people we don't think we can serve. Care for people we don't think we can care for. And so the question is not, can I do that? The question now that we're asking is, is God powerful enough to do that? And if you want to tell God you don't think He's powerful enough to do that, I'll let y'all have that conversation. You, you can do that. See, families connected to mission, though, also do tend to be connected to missions. When we're walking in truth, it tends to really ignite our hearts. You knew the missions pastor was going to talk about this, right? To missions. Now, I want you to hear, my goal is not to send you to Somalia this morning. In fact, for most of you, what I'd tell you is my goal would be, for most of you, probably you'll never go on a mission trip. But I do want you to be connected to missions. And I think in Third John, there's a, a picture of how we can do this. See, being connected to mission and being connected to missions are two different things, but we often confuse the two. Sometimes we're not connected to mission at all. We're not connected to mission. We're not walking in the truth here. Then we get really stirred and we go, oh, I want to be connected to mission. I'd like to go overseas on a short-term trip. And one of the things that we have in place, if someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to go on a short-term trip, the first question that we ask on my team is, tell me what you're doing locally. Oh, well, I don't have time to serve locally. I just want to go serve overseas. That, that's not how that works. Mission and missions, they're connected together. They're connected together. So how are we connected to missions right here? Well, we're connected to missions as rope holders. 
as rope holders. This is a well rescue that's going on. Someone's going down the well to rescue. Maybe the most famous well rescue, those of us who are old enough remember, would be Jessica McClure. We remember this little girl. Some of you are not old enough to remember that. She was stuck down a well, and then we watched on TV to see this little girl, this little baby, be rescued out of this well. And it didn't take the effort of one person. It took the effort of many. It's a missionary who's gone to be with the Lord. And he was trying to describe the task the church has together of doing missions. And he asked this question. He says, if there's a well rescue going on, who's more important, the person going down the well or the people holding the rope? Well, the answer is, of course, yes. See, the person... Going down the well is necessary, absolutely necessary. But last week, 150 people were holding the rope for Foster Lovell County in alarm. See, without the rope holders, the rescue mission doesn't happen. And we don't want to confuse mission and missions. We want to be living on mission and connected to missions as this church was. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth then listen, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Who are these brothers? They were strangers that came to visit the church that testified to your love before the church. Now, we don't want our missionaries or our partners to be strangers. We want them to be friends. But the reality is, last week, some of you know Celestin Musakura. In a church this size, not everybody will be his best friend. Some of you know some of our missionaries very well. Others of you would love to get to know them in May. Still others, they'll kind of be like strangers to you. But we're working together. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. Why? That we may be fellow workers for the truth. See, it's a church that's connected to mission, but they're also connected to missions. So love for missions and missionaries is normative Christianity. Love for missions and missionaries is normative Christianity. It's normative Christianity. And it's normative Christianity because, not because the missions pastor thinks it should be, but, but because the Bible teaches it. I rejoice greatly as you are walking in the truth. How are you walking in the truth? You have efforts for these strangers, these brothers. You're loving them well. We ought to support people like these. It's normative that we would care about missions. It's the oddest thing for me. It's the oddest thing for me. I thought about a family that I love, that we've known for, oh goodness, over 20 years. Before Laura and I got married, we met them and, and uh, raised their kids to know Christ. And I've seen this happen over and over and over. Um, and... And one day, this family calls, and, um, and it was about nine years ago, I'd, I'd been working as a missions pastor for a couple years, and, and what I hear on the other line is, our daughter wants to go on a mission trip, can you talk her out of it? And it just blows my mind. I just, what in the world? You've raised your kids to know Christ, you've raised them to follow Christ, you've taught them the Scripture, taught them the Great Commission, and every once in a while this happens, and I just keep this bag in the back of my Bible when it does, and I just... We're going to be okay. It's, th these are not, not parents that are not Christians, actually believers. I just think, what, what in the world? And it's, well, right, again, you're the, you're the missions pastor. Listen, my, my daughter is at the University of Arkansas this week. She was a finalist in a speech competition in Arabic, okay? 
Now, she's not learning Arabic to open up a Mexican restaurant in Temple, right? It'd be great if she was. You can be on mission right here doing that. She wants to go to the Middle East and share the gospel. And far be it from me, far be it from me to get in the way of that. But man, I want to cheerlead that because when we don't, when we're not connected to mission, we're not connected to missions and the two go hand in hand. We end up chasing our own agendas. We end up living in a way that confuses the culture. And what they end up doing is thinking, well, Christians are just against this and this and this. And they never end up hearing that we are for Jesus. I got, I got uh, short-term applications this week, and here's what's beautiful. Being connected to mission flows into being connected to missions. It was from a, a young lady and a young man, grew up at Temple Bible Church. One's going to North Africa. One's going to East Asia for the summer to share the gospel with people in those regions. And one of the questions we have is, how did you get connected to, to mission? And then one of them, it started... Um, as a child at TBC and children's ministry. The other, it started at Impact Club. And they both mentioned doing impact and sharing the gospel on impact. And one, I think, Mission G. And then uh, one of them went to Rwanda with one of our teams and it just grew and grew and grew. So, see, this is normative Christianity. When we're walking in the truth and supporting others, we're connected to mission and then we're connected to missions. See, God's people, the local church, supporting missions is a biblical and it's a Christ-honoring model. There are reasons we do missions the way that we do. See, those who testified of your love before the church, you'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. It's biblical that we send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, that they're well-supported, that they're taken care of. And when we do, we are fellow workers in the truth. We're partners in the gospel. So that means that that if you support a family from TBC that right now lives and serves in Thailand, your feet may never touch Thailand, but you're partners in the gospel, your fellow workers in the gospel in a place where there's little to no gospel access in their massive city. Same could be true in Malaysia, in the Philippines, in the Middle East, in Guatemala. You support TBC missionaries in Africa. We're fellow workers as we support them. So knowing who we support, knowing why we support them is a good thing. And again, verse 6, our support for them should be abundant. Our support for them should be abundant. Missionaries shouldn't worry, can we afford to get this car fixed with parts that are going to last seven weeks? And then we'll have to get it fixed again. They shouldn't worry about, do I have enough technology to speak to my family, to speak to my church back home? What we want them focused on is, is my neighbor who grew up Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or atheist who's never heard the gospel, are they going to hear the gospel from me today? So we want them supported abundantly, not because Chase thinks that's a good idea, but because John said we will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, that our generosity would reflect the generosity of Jesus because, as J.D. Greer says, joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. So when we support missionaries, we're giving up something we love for something we love more. When often... We can go through life and get so caught up in the daily activities and what we've got to do next and what we've got to pay for next and what activity our kids have to be at next. And those can be all good things where we're on mission, but they can also be areas where we end up sacrificing the things that matter most for the things that matter least. When instead, we want to sacrifice the things that matter least for the things that matter most. 
So see, we want to be a people who are connected to Jesus and walking in truth because when we are, when we are, we'll be connected to mission and missions. And we do that because we want to honor King Jesus. With our lips and with our lives, we want to honor King Jesus who lived and died and rose from the dead and is the only hope of salvation. That's true in Central Texas. It's true in Central Asia. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Let me just give you a picture of, of maybe what this would look like. I, one of my friends who we send... Uh, to the Middle East, had to go over and, and move some things, their family's home for a bit, but he was moving things from one nation in the Middle East to another nation in the Middle East, having to cross a border with a moving truck, which I've heard is really fun, and all these things that he had to do. Um, and I just sent him a text uh, just to see if he was doing okay, and his text back was an audio message, and it was, hey, I got to share truth with this guy on this day, and I'm going to get to have a conversation with this guy on this day, and would you pray for these things? And I just thought, what if the norm, wouldn't it be amazing if TBC missionaries were reaching out to their friends, they send an email back, their, their newsletter back, or they send a text back to those of you who communicate, and what they were getting back is, hey, would you pray for me? There's a guy at McLean I'm going to share the gospel with this week. Hey, there's a lady at TISD or BISD or PDI or Scott and White or, or a number of other places. Would you pray for me? I'm going to share the gospel this week so that we'd be people connected both to missions and to mission right where we are. Right where we are. Now, even as I say this, even as I say this, I know really how powerless we are in our flesh because I know the fickleness of my own heart. I know how easily I can be distracted. I know how quickly I want my own way. So really, all I know to do on this Passion Week is to ask Jesus to give us power to be people connected to mission. Because I, I, I bet we've all got friends that this week need to know the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, need to know the life that's in Him. And God, on purpose, thought it was, He was not making a mistake. He did it on purpose. He put you and me in their lives to share the gospel with them. So let's ask Him for help. God, we need Your help today. We need You every day. And Father, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit, God, give us wisdom and love for people and boldness that we might be a people who walk in the truth and who speak the truth. Help us to be people who are not disconnected from you or from one another or from mission, but rather are connected to you through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're part of your family. We're in community together, loving each other. And then we're on mission to make much of Jesus in the world. And God, I pray this week that you'd empower us. God, give us words that we don't think that we have. Boldness that we don't think that we can find. And love that we can't muster up in our own hearts. Father, for your glory and for the joy of this city. God, we pray with Augustine. We know that you have commanded what you will. And now we ask that you would give what you command, Father that your name might be known and your saving power might spread through Central Texas and all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. And you're dismissed.